Maigo Vannan. Welcome to the Tolkien Lore Channel. I'm the Tolkien Geek, and on a recent video that I did uh, responding to Men of the West's video on the idea of introducing more Arwen into the story, I ended up getting a comment basically calling me a sexist, and the, if you want to go read the comments, you can find it. It's not really worth discussing because the person never came up with any actual reasons, because I didn't really give them any reasons in the video. But at any rate, the idea of sexism in Tolkien is hardly a new one, and I wanted to address it, and one of the key areas where this tends to come up is the character of Eowyn, who, depending on your point of view, is either a feminist icon or an example of really bad sexism on Tolkien's part. And a lot of the sexism with Tolkien, those kinds of accusations usually center around the fact that there are so few women in the story, and I'm going to avoid that topic and focus on Eowyn, because a lot of the criticism of Eowyn is a lot more, it at least makes a little more sense as a criticism, and it's a little more plausible, I think, because in the context of the story, in a medieval history setting type thing, you wouldn't expect that many women to play part in the kind of story this is, and that's just, that's just historical truth. I mean, that's like, that. that's just the way it goes. So, I'm not so much worried about that as this one, so I'm going to set up the idea of why people think that Eowyn's character ends up being a sexist kind of character, and then I'm going to explain why it's really not. So the first key point to know here is, yes, Eowyn does go off and do all these cool things. She ends up killing the Witch King with the help of Mary. She defies the men in her life in going to the battle in the first place, and all this other stuff. So if all you knew was the movies, you might think feminist icon. But if you read the books, what ends up happening between her and Faramir is a lot more nuanced, and it kind of changes her character a little bit towards the end, because Faramir and Eowyn spend a lot of time together in the Houses of Healing, and what ends up happening is over the course of all this, Faramir eventually gets her to, in the words of the book, she either kind of discovered what she really wanted or she changed, and it's not really clear because the book kind of leaves it open as an either-or, but she then says, okay, well, I'm no longer going to vie with the writers, I'm no longer going to seek glory in battle, I'll be a healer and love things that grow. Now, this is where the feminist critique comes in and says, see, Tolkien is just putting Eowyn back in her place as a feminine person who, you know, does feminine things and this is totally sexist and all this stuff. And it's like, okay, at a very surface level, it might kind of look like that, but if you really understand the story behind it, it's really not that simple. And I'm not the first person to make these points. Tolkien, the Tolkien professor, Corey Olson, has made some of these arguments. Other people have made some of these arguments in various different places. But I'm going to try to kind of concentrate it all down into one thing just to get all of it out there at once and make as convincing a case as I can to show why this is not actually a case of sexism on Tolkien's part. So let's get into the details. First, we have to go way back in history to really set all this up, because the conversation between Faramir and Eowyn by itself is not really 100% clear. It's not really obvious what's going on in Eowyn's head or how all this plays out. But if we look at the history of Eowyn, and particularly her history with Aragorn, 
in the history of Faramir and his conversations with Frodo and Sam, we can get a lot more insight into what goes on. So let's take a look at Eowyn first. Eowyn very clearly sees herself as being put upon and forced into a feminine role, and it's really not fair, because when Aragorn comes to the Paths of the Dead and is about to leave in the book, Eowyn basically says, I want to go with you, and Aragorn tells her, your duty is with your people. And she says, too many times have I heard of duty. And then they get into a long back and forth, and it's worth kind of reading in full. So here's, here's the quote. Too often have I heard of duty, she cried. But am I not of the house of Aeorl, a shield maiden and not a dry nurse? I have waited on faltering feet long enough. Since they falter no longer, it seems, may I not now spend my life as I will? Few may do that with honor, he answered, meaning Aragorn. But as for you, lady, did you not accept the charge to govern the people until their lord's return? If you had not been chosen, then some marshal or captain would have been set in the same place, and he could not ride away from his charge, were he weary of it or no. Shall I always be chosen? she said bitterly. Shall I always be left behind when the riders depart to mine the house while they win renown and find foods and bed when they return? A time may come, said he, when none will return. Then there will be need of valor without renown for none shall remember the deeds that are done in the last offense of your homes, yet the deeds will not be the less valiant, because they are praised, unpraised. And she answered, All your words are but to say, You are a woman, and your part is in the house. But when the men have died in battle and honor, you have leave to be burned in the house, for the men will need it no more. But I am of the house of Aeorl, and not a serving woman. I can ride and wield blade, and I do not fear either pain or death. So, pretty clearly here, Aeowyn is putting herself in the category of the feminist who feels put upon by the masculine hierarchy and is being forced to do all this stuff. Now, the key thing to note here is that when Aragorn says her duty is with her people, he is not merely saying, you know, the king put you in this position to do this and therefore it's your duty to do it. What we have to remember here is that when Theoden first set out to ride against Isengard, it was actually the people themselves who chose Eowyn. They wanted Eowyn. And in fact, Theoden, when he you know, brought all this up, he said, who, who's going to rule in my stead? And one of them, one of the, I think it was Hama, the door ward, basically said, you know, who do the people trust? And Hama says, the tr we trust the house of Aeorl. And Theoden's like, but I can't spare Eomer, and I'm Eomer, and I'm going and he said, I didn't say Eomer, I said the house of Aeorl. Everybody loves your, your niece, Eowyn. We want her. The people actually picked Eowyn. This was not like a top-down decision by Theoden at all. So when Eowyn is complaining about this, she's actually kind of twisting the situation a little bit. And this is really important because her entire headspace is really messed up at this stage because... Her history with Theoden, Theoden being more or less decrepit and, and totally twisted by the lies of Grima Wormtongue and all this other stuff, she's been in a bad position for a long time. And it also doesn't help that she lives in a society where most of the glory and whatnot goes to warriors and people who achieve great deeds and things like that, which Faramir will tell Frodo and Sam, and I'll get into that a little bit later. But the point here is Eowyn's 
perspective on this is skewed, not because she's trying to stand up for her rights as a woman, but because she's skewing the nature of how she came to have this duty. She's seeing it as men are just telling her what to do, when in fact what's actually happening is all the people of Rohan wanted her to do the job that Theoden was supposed to be doing while Theoden is away, because Theoden is going to lead his men into battle. So her her entire perspective on this is skewed by the fact that she's already had this history where she's really frustrated with her position and all this other stuff. And when she says this to Aragorn, your words are but to say you're you're a woman, she's actually twisting what Aragorn himself has just said. Because what Aragorn said is not, you know, you have leave to be burned with the house when the men are all dead, but, you know, somebody's got to stay here. This is an unavoidable fact. Somebody has to do it. The people have chosen you because they trust you they have placed you in this position of honor because they be believe that you're capable of doing it and you're the best person for the job. That is, in fact, a high amount of praise coming from the people. It's not just Theoden saying, ah, well, you know, I've got one more relative and I can leave her here because she's a woman. It's, in fact, the people saying, well, if Theoden and Aomer are all going off to battle, there's still one left and we want her to rule the people while they're gone. So... Aragorn is not saying what Eowyn is claiming he's saying. She is reading that into his words because of her own frustration. And Aragorn is in fact saying, and what he says is, you know, very few people can do just whatever they want with honor. And in fact, Aragorn is implicitly applying that to himself because in the context of the same conversation, he even says, if my heart was to guide me, I would be in the far north in Rivendell. And there's a remark here in the text that, you know, Eowyn's like trying to figure out what he means by that. And of course, what he means is he wants to be with Arwen, but he can't. He has duties he has to go and achieve as well. So Aragorn is not just saying you as a woman just have to do what you're told. He's actually saying all of us have to do things we don't want to do all the time because somebody's got to take up these responsibilities. I have mine that keep me from Rivendell. You have yours that keep you in Rohan. So Eowyn's perspective on this is messed up and it's it's really messed up because of where she is in her frustration with the history and we can see this play out too because when she rides to battle she in the guise of Durnhelm is not exactly in a healthy headspace either. Mary looks in her eyes at one point and sees somebody who is seeking death, and we know that that's more or less what she's doing. Gandalf will even eventually kind of fill in additional details, and Aomer's going to go, oh, wow, that's hmm, that's interesting. I need to rethink some things. But, you know, we know from the text that Eowyn, when she goes, she is looking for death in battle to gain glory that way because she can't have Aragorn and that was what she saw as her ticket out of her position. She wanted to marry Aragorn because he was high and puissant is the words used in the book. But basically it's like he's a really big character in the scheme of the world. And she wanted that to raise her out of the position that she was currently in so she could achieve fame, glory, honor, whatever. And when she couldn't have that, 
we are told then she decides she's just going to seek death in battle and therefore glory through those means. So when she goes to battle, she's actually not even being like a feminist icon in the sense that she's just, you know, telling the boys, you know, whatever, you can try to put me in the house all you want. She's actually going out to die. She's desperate and her desperation has led her to a really bad place. So none of the superficial vision of what Eowyn is doing here actually makes any sense. Now let's take a look at Faramir and get his angle on all of this stuff because he's going to tell us a little bit more about Eowyn's situation and also about some other things that become relevant in their last conversations with each other before she finally changes her mind. Faramir is a really fascinating character that I love, and Tolkien in fact says in one of his letters that of all the characters in The Lord of the Rings, the one who is most like him is Faramir. And in fact, he basically says he's pretty much just like me, except that he has a lot of physical courage and I don't. So if you want a good read on what Tolkien's ideas are, you could do a lot worse than to read carefully what Faramir tells pretty much anybody. And most of the conversations that we get with him are with Frodo and Sam. And there are very key ones where he talks about some very important concepts that come into play when it comes to his relationship with Eowyn. So one of those things is one of my favorite passages in the entire book where he says, I love not the the sword for it, the bright sword for its sharpness or the arrow for its swiftness or you know he goes on and he basically says I love only that which they defend and he says war must be while we have you know this enemy that wants to destroy us but he also goes and talks about how you know in Gondor which are the descendants of Numenorians who he calls the high men are those who, you know, valued things other than just war and didn't find warriors glorious in themselves. So Faramir's whole perspective on this thing is that war is an ugly necessity, one that we do have to engage in, and therefore there is a certain value in the warrior. But he also says in our later days, we have become more like the middlemen as opposed to the men of the shadow who are just who've never really had any kind of good influences from elves, the Valar, or anything, uh, and mostly are under the sway of Sauron. Um, and he says they've become more like the middlemen in which he categorizes people such as the Rohirrim in that they believe that you know warriors are kind of like the pinnacle of society. They are the ones who deserve the most glory and all this stuff. So Faramir is telling us pretty clearly here that War may be necessary, but we shouldn't enjoy it, and we shouldn't think that warriors are, just because they're warriors, entitled to a lot of respect and glory and honor. Yes, they have a job they have to do, but it's not the job we should do. And there used to be a time when we thought that other skills were just as valuable, valuable or even more. And so he's telling all this to them in the context of a lot of different things. But in telling us this, what he's telling us is that the Rohirrim are among those who tend to think as, you know, the martial arts as being among the most important. And that goes back to what I said earlier about Eowyn that I said I'd get to in the Faramir section. Her society is very much skewed against women in that it is very focused on, you know, warlike behavior and, 
you know, glorying in the battle. And we can see this too, because when they go to battle, often the Rohirrim are singing and taking joy in it. And this seems like kind of a reference to a lot of Northern European traditions where you have warriors who either go berserk, you've got the berserkers, you've got other kinds of warriors in Northern European traditions where, you know, getting into the battle itself is in itself a joyful thing. And Farmer is saying that's really not right. Like, you have to do that sort of thing sometimes, and we have to do it because we're being attacked by Sauron, but you shouldn't. War is not a good thing. It is an ugly necessity. It's it does things to people. And Tolkien, of course, would have been well aware of this. He experienced trench fever and all the bad things that came with trench warfare in World War I. He was well aware that going through the trauma of that kind of war can leave a person scarred for life, not just physically, but mentally. And so we can see a little bit of that hinted at in Faramir's words to Frodo and Sam. And Faramir goes on and he talks more about all of that, but the key point here is he's pointing out that unlike the Rohirrim, which is where Eowyn is at, who treats war as like a big deal, and therefore Eowyn is kind of on the outs in that society, he thinks that that's a, you know, Gondor to the extent that it's become like that has diminished itself. We should be, you know, able to wage war if we need to, but that really should not be our focus ever at all. There should be other things that we find better and more valuable. Now, Faramir's words come to fruition later on because what happens after the Battle of the Pelennor Fields is that Faramir and Eowyn both are in need of healing. And Aragorn comes in and he ends up being the one to do the healing. And his skill at healing becomes a significant point in the whole thing because as one wise woman in the Houses of Healing says... It was always said by the people of Gondor that the hands of the king are the hands of a healer. Now, this gets really interesting because this, this marks out the king as a healer as opposed to, say, a war leader or anything else. And that by itself is fascinating. But it comes up even more prominently when Faramir and Eowyn start to have their conversations. Now, remember, both of them were healed by the same hand. Eowyn doesn't take a whole lot of comfort out of this fact because Eowyn wants to be married to Aragorn and now she knows that's not going to happen and so she doesn't see that as a particularly good thing. Her healing is something that she, you know, what she wants after she's healed is just to go back out on the battle and go die again or try to find a way to die in battle gloriously. Faramir is, in their conversations, always trying to kind of pull her back from that and act like, well, you know, do you have no hope in life? Don't you want anything else? Uh, and one of the interesting things that Eowyn tells Faramir in the context of some of their conversations is, do not look to me for healing. My hand is ungentle. Now, this is a really interesting thing to say in the context of all this, because what we have already marked out is that healing is the mark of the king of Gondor. And the king of Gondor is precisely the thing that Eowyn is looking up to in Aragorn. Aragorn is to her like the pinnacle. If she could marry Aragorn, she would be exactly where she wants to be, honored and, you know, glorious and all that sort of thing. And what we know is that the king of Gondor is marked out by his ability to heal. And she turns that on its head and basically says, don't look to me for healing. My hand is ungentle. Faramir doesn't really take that 
you know, he, he just kind of lets it roll off and he doesn't necessarily expect her to be the one to heal him because I think he realizes you're the one that needs healing, maybe in a psychological sense more than a physical sense. Uh, but he he already knows that she's in a space where she needs something that, you know, typical healing can't give her, but she is the one that needs some kind of healing. And it's through their conversations that eventually she is healed. And so when it comes to that line where it says that at last she knew her heart or, you know, either her heart changed or she knew what it was one way or the other, what's happening there, if it's a change, is she's realizing, you know, maybe war really isn't the point. Maybe it really isn't the thing that I should be striving for. Or else if it's something that she's realizing that was always true, she's realizing what I always thought I wanted was because of the circumstances I was in. And this goes back to Farmer's comments about the middlemen, including the Rohirrim. You know, I wanted these things because that's what my society prized, but my society is wrong. You know, and Faramir's comments, and remember, this is basically Tolkien talking because Tolkien says Faramir is basically him. Uh, he doesn't say it quite that way, but he says he's the most like him. So if we're going to find Tolkien's opinions, it's going to be out of Faramir's mouth. So she is realizing, if it's a change of heart, that, you know, the reason I've always wanted this is because the society around me prized it. But the society that I'm in, according to Faramir, is a lower form of society than what Gondor is. Gondor, in its old days at least, prized things that were actually more important and, you know, really valuable. Because if you think about it, what is valuable about war in the, at the end of the day? Nothing. All it achieves is destruction. Healing is a valuable thing. People get sick, they need healing. People break bones, they need healing. Healing is something that is, in, you know, it's also a necessity, in a sense, like war, because we live in a world where you can get sick or get hurt. But those things are kind of inevitable. War doesn't have to be inevitable. And healing is something that you can actually use to improve the world. War never improves the world. You know, to the extent that you have to fight a defensive war, it, you know, improves the chances of the world not being horrible if somebody really bad takes over the world, but the war was started by the bad guy. If the bad guy didn't start it, you know, you wouldn't have a problem. So she tells him, don't look to me for healing, but then her mind changes, and then she says, I will be a healer, and I will love things that grow. And this goes to another thing that Faramir brings up in his conversations with Sam and Frodo. Right when they're about to leave, Faramir pays Sam a couple of really great compliments. One of them, well, actually, this is before they're about to leave. Sam basically says, you've shown your quality whenever he turns down the ring, and he says, the praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards. And that's a huge compliment to Sam, which tells you what he thinks of Sam, right? Sam is praiseworthy. Why? You know, Sam is loyal to Frodo, and he does his best by Frodo and all that. But also, he knows that Sam is a gardener. And this last comment is what's really telling to me, because when he tells, when he when he's about to leave Sam and Frodo, and they're about to head off to Mordor, he says, the Shire must be a great realm. Actually, this may be earlier than that. I may be confusing it with the movie. At any rate, he tells them, 
the Shire must be a great realm where gardeners are held in high, or, uh, high honor. Now again, what does that tell you about what Faramir thinks? Faramir, to the extent that we already know something, thinks that war is at best an ugly necessity and we shouldn't prioritize it. Now he's telling us that one thing that we should prioritize is gardens. And one of the things that we learn, too, in the description of Minas Tirith is that there's very little in the way of plant life. And one of the things that changes after Aragorn becomes king is that Legolas will bring a lot of elves from the woodland and they will make it more beautiful by bringing wildlife to it, you know, bringing these plants and things. And so Faramir is actually here telling us something that he finds lacking in Minas Tirith is something that needs to be prioritized. Gardens are a good thing. You're growing something. You're bringing things to life and bringing them to fruition. And these are beneficial to mankind unequivocally. So he tells him, he tells them that, you know, he's implying basically that gardeners should be highly honored. And what does Eowyn tell Farmer when she changes her mind? I will be a healer and a lover of things that grow. And what do they do in Athelion after they get married and Aragorn basically makes him the prince of Athelion? They turn it into a giant garden. That's what they do. So far from Tolkien here actually turning Eowyn just back into a submissive female who's just going to stay in her place and not get in the boy's way, what he's actually showing us here is that the things that she is moving on to, as opposed to going to war and trying to be in battle and you know get herself killed and die gloriously, what she's wanting to do now are actually the better things. These are the better things that Faramir thinks are more valuable, the things that mark the king out as the king, the ability to heal, growing things. And remember, Tolkien himself was huge into plant life. He loved his trees. He loved his plants. We know this from his own words. We also know it just from reading The Lord of the Rings. We can tell that he takes, you know, cutting down trees kind of personally because he kind of puts all of that into the words of Fangorn and Treebeard. So we know Tolkien is already on this side, and we can tell from Faramir that that's kind of his opinions too because we know that he thinks Faramir is more or less like him. So Eowyn here is not becoming just a submissive female. She's just moving to something better than being a warrior. Because being a warrior is not good in and of itself, as Faramir has already told us. Faramir and Eowyn getting married and then turning Athelion into a garden is described in a way which is supposed to evoke the idea that that's a good thing. And in fact, what do we learn about Sam? Sam's temptation from the ring is to turn all of Mordor into a giant garden. It's ring temptation, but the end is actually good in the sense that it would be better than the barren wasteland that it is now. So this idea that Eowyn is, you know, Eowyn turning to these things rather than war is somehow Tolkien being sexist. If Tolkien is being sexist, if anything, he is actually turning his back on the masculine and favoring the feminine. You know, if you want to describe healing and gardening as feminine attributes, Tolkien must be a feminist because those are the things that he actually thinks are better. And remember, he himself admitted he didn't have a whole lot of physical courage. He's not into battle. He got invalided out at invalided. Uh, inv 
He got got taken out of World War One because of his trench fever. He was never really into that whole idea anyway. He wasn't gung-ho. He thought it was his patriotic duty, but it's not something he would have thought of as, you know, yeah, I want to go fight on the front. That That's not Tolkien. And we shouldn't see that as something that any of the characters in The Lord of the Rings think is great. And in fact, Faramir tells us about Boromir. He's kind of like those Rohirrim. He wants glory for himself in battle, and that's not not the best thing. That's actually kind of a negative quality. He recognizes that Boromir has negative qualities. So everything Faramir tells us tells us that when Eowyn changes her mind, it's for the better. Everything about it. Healing is good. Gardening is good. War is... Sometimes you got to do it, but it's ugly and it's bad, even if you have to do it. So at the end of the day, that is why Faramir and Eowyn and all that all their conversations and the way that Eowyn changes her mind, that is not sexism happening in Tolkien. Not even close. So, I hope that pretty thoroughly explained my thoughts and, and just the arguments generally on the issue of sexism and how that applies to Eowyn's character arc and all that. If you could think of any other points I missed and failed to address, please do bring them up in the comments below. I do hope that if any of you had the idea that Eowyn's character arc was sexist, that this changed your mind. And if not, and you have some legitimate arguments to the contrary, feel free to bring those up as well. Don't just get on the comments section and call me a sexist pig, because those comments will not never see the light of day. That said, if you enjoyed the video, please do like and share it around. These are issues that I think everybody could stand to at least grapple with, even if they don't agree with. And if you want to follow me at Twitter, you can follow me at JRRT Lore and get some occasional Tolkien-related trivia questions. I'm also on Odyssey and Rumble, and you can find those links in the description below as well. And you can support me over at Patreon. And of course, don't forget to subscribe and click the bell icon for all the notifications. Also, I do have podcast versions of this as well now. Until the next time, I'm the Tolkien Geek, signing out for the Tolkien Lore channel. Namadier.